Hello, friends, and welcome to the Painting Pictures podcast. I'm Gabriel Roberts, and I'm coming to you from Paonia, Colorado, for one of the last times for a little while, probably. I've just got another uh, another week here in the gingerbread house, and then um, and then the rest of next week to hang out around town here, and then I'm planning to begin uh, journeying and be on the road for um for the end of july and and some of august so that's that you're here on the podcast um that's about universal juice it's about what makes us feel alive and connected and i today am feeling alive and connected thanks to some yoga this morning uh, with a couple of other residents here at the elsewhere studios I led yoga for the very first time in my life. I did uh, a good 20 minutes of sun salutations with a little uh, little Warrior 1 thrown in there. Then a little Warrior 1 to a little Warrior 2, if you know what I mean. And then a little uh, triangle. Um, and then a little Warrior 2 again. And then a little reverse your warrior. Flip it back. Flip that warrior back. And then that was followed immediately by a nice big pot of coffee. The other uh, residents here just arrived from San Francisco last week, and they brought with them a big bag of beans, coffee beans. And I, believe it or not, had been brewing up Maxwell House pre-ground comes in a big plastic tub coffee. Because that's what a previous resident had left behind, Yasmin, who you remember from a couple podcasts ago. So, you know, do, you know, make coffee with what you got, because I haven't been drinking a whole lot of coffee. But let me tell you, there's really no comparison to good, you know, good coffee to bad coffee is like uh, <laughs> poop to pops, really. <laughs> uh, there's really no comparison. So that got my day going, and then we cleaned. We cleaned the house. There was this alleged Tuesday morning clean-a-thon that I saw posted Um but it never seemed to manifest until this week. And we put some music on, um, got some good cleaning going. I, I dominated the bathroom. I even took the plastic shower curtains off and soaked them and scrubbed them in the tub with a little bit of borax in hot water. <clears throat> Setting the tone of, of, of dedication to a clean house. And I was able to sip on coffee while this was happening and listen to funky music. I'd gotten up at 6.45, gotten down out of my bed to turn off my alarm clock. Really, it's coming down to crunch time here, so I'm trying to pick it up a little bit. And last night, I didn't go to a super fun potluck around a fire with people that I love and would have loved to hang out with. I didn't go. I played soccer. Uh, played really well, felt good, and then went for a swim in the river, uh, which has got to be just the best thing for your muscles, and my legs feel pretty good today. And then I went home, and instead of going to a potluck dinner with, with, with wonderful people, I mean, I still can't believe I didn't go, but that was, it was like a major decision. I think it was probably the first time that I had said no to something like that that was like 
easily accessible. It was just probably a five minute bike ride away and um, with some people that I really, really like and would have loved to mingle with. But instead, I worked on a poster for drumroll. The Paonia Community Mic. Readings. Comedy. No music. Elsewhere Studios, Thursday, July 17th, 8 p.m. Participant sign up at 7.45. I still don't have the last line figured, but I'm making this poster, and hopefully tonight I'm going to get it printed and posted tomorrow and trying to organize a little open mic event. And I'm going to do a little comedy, and I'm going to try to get a couple other people to do comedy, and if they don't want to do comedy, I'm going to have, they're going to do readings of some sort. The point is no music. That's the most important thing. You singer, songwriter assholes with your perfect, beautiful voices and guitars, leave that shit at home because that doesn't play here. You got to just use the spoken word to uh, get some laughs and get some rises out of people. So I'm excited. I, I've been thinking about doing this, and um, I have to thank Carolyn, one of the other residents here, for encouraging the idea. She had wanted to do a, a reading thing um, where people – she's got a number of things she's found interesting in the world of literature and philosophy and wanted to do a, a night with reading. I think that'll pair fairly well with with comedy, give people a little break. You know, They can laugh, and then they can sit back and um, be edified. So I almost didn't do it because there's just a lot going on. And I was like, oh, is this for, am I forcing it? You know, am I forcing something like making a big event for me? But it's not really for me. It's for, it's for everybody. Uh, I'm just going to be headlining. <laughs> just kidding. But I probably will go last and I probably will um, do some hosting, which I'm excited about. And uh, I'm looking forward to introducing... Anyway, you'll hear it because we're going to record it and it's going to be up on the podcast. So a couple weeks away, if you somehow are listening to this podcast and don't already know about it and are in like the, the western Colorado region, next Thursday the 17th, please come to Elsewhere Studios at 107 Third Street uh, and join the fun. Would love to, uh, Would love to see you there. We've got a great podcast today. The guest is Naropa Sabine. I think that's how you say his last name. He's a really interesting guy. I I have no way to really um, describe him other than that he's sharp and he's funny and he has a lot of uh, knowledge and he also has a lot of perspective to realize that knowledge is uh, worthless. He's an artist. He's a painter. Um, I think he's done a lot of different things like film and music. And I'm really glad um, he agreed to join the podcast and he gave me a great tour of his place. Um, His mom and stepdad have an awesome house and the most incredible library I've ever seen. This is like a library from – this is how they used to do it. I mean it was like a legit library with a little diagram of all the different sections, books from floor to ceiling – from of all different sorts of philosophy and fiction and religion and history and um and then art on the wall he collects art his parents collect collect art so it was this this bastion of culture um that I got to see and then he showed me his 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 place which is uh, the house that I think his his mom's ex-husband or something 
used to live in for years. And it's this totally old rundown, but in, he's in the process of fixing it up. Um, shack-like residence in the center of town in Paonia with an awesome shed out back that he's converted into a studio. It's beautiful. And I'm, I'm posting a couple of pictures of his studio uh, on the website. So check, go ahead and be sure to check out um, the post that accompanies this podcast at gaberobertsart.com. Go to the blog and you'll find... Uh, a couple of pictures of Naropa's work, and I'll, I'll, I'll link to some of his. I'm sure he's got a website or something. And then um, in the second half of the podcast, Naropa and I were joined by Ryan Strand, who is a earth gardener gnome. And uh, I don't know. Hopefully, I'll get a chance to do a podcast just with him. But anyway, he he was he was kind enough just to jump in and lend some perspective. It's like a real legitimate intro. I feel kind of like a sterile professional podcast man. I feel like I should I needed to say poop and penis a few more times here just to keep it real, you know? Just so you remember that that uh this podcast is about me saying awkward things and like sharing awkward things. Speaking of awkward things, I'm probably well, I'm definitely going to be modeling tonight for figure drawing session. Never done that before, and I may or may not be butt naked, <laughs> if you can believe it. Uh, probably not. It's the kind of thing where I don't, it's not like I want to be naked because, well, maybe part of me does want to show off my body. I'll have to admit that, that I, yeah, I, I admit it, I admit it, but, um, I think mostly I'm interested in trying to figure out what the what the difference is between a pair of underwear and being nude. And on the one hand, it's like, why? Like, uh, no one really wants to draw the penis anyway. Like, it's ugly. Like, just wear a pair of underwear. You can see the whole figure just fine, right? Then on the other hand, I feel like there's some sort of tradition to nude modeling. And there's... Um, perhaps something added other than just the ugly genitalia being exposed. There's something um, classic, like a, 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 a tradition that, that will come through and maybe add some gravitas to the proceedings. I don't know. I'm just hoping I don't get a boner. That's what I'm, <laughs> that's what I'm hoping. And I'm, well, that's that's enough about that. What do you say? What do you say, folks? Enough about that. Just watch Germany destroy Brazil in World Cup, seven to one. Um, killed a bunch of grasshoppers the other day. I don't know. I'm just gonna get this podcast rolling. What do you guys say? This is Naropa Sabine. Uh, this conversation was recorded last week in Peonia, Colorado. I hope you love it. And um, let's start the show.
Yes. Europa Sabine. 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 Welcome to Painting Pictures. That's the name <laughs> of the podcast. <laughs> Pleasure. Very good of you to be willing to immortalize this conversation. Ah, uh, yes. For posterity. Mm-hmm. On the record. Mm-hmm. On the record. So we're here in Paonia. We are in your studio. Mm-hmm. Just got a little bit of a tour of uh, your folks, your folks' place, your library, and then this is your. How long have you had this this place? Uh, about a year and a half. Okay. And as I mentioned uh, earlier, this studio was used by my mother's first husband for about forty years. Oh. So that's okay. the connection. Those okay. landscape yeah. pieces yeah. he painted in here. And he basically lived, uh, you know, below poverty level, grew his own food, yeah. and painted yeah. for 40 years with wow. no recognition whatsoever. Wow. Those, ma- the, like, those incredibly detailed, you know. He's still alive? Yeah. He actually is now in the retirement home across the street from the other place. Oh, really? So, yeah, it's like a, there's a strange history between my mother and him and art and yeah now here i am having taken over his old place yeah so so i thought maybe we'd start with just a little bit of your history if that's all right sure just well and before we do i'll just give people like my impression of you with okay. i don't really know anything besides what we've gotten on the tour today sure so you're a jaunty fellow you're <laughs> you're you're uh you can't, it's, it's hard to tell how old you are. Wow. You um, are obviously somewhat intellectual and artistic, and you seem free to me. As far as I can tell, you seem pretty, uh, pretty free, hmm. which is which is fun, and uh, and you have a very interesting name. So all that adds up to. <laughs> to a good podcast, yeah. <laughs> well, I was named after a Buddhist monk, so, and that's not an assumed name. Um, people from Colorado might have heard of the Naropa Institute in Boulder. It's fairly well known, uh, mostly through the Beat poets and writers and Ramdas and uh, Chogya Trungpa and a sort of uh, explosion of self. Inquiry schools. Yeah, in and Boulder was yeah. a little epicenter of that. Yeah, exactly. So that's where the moniker comes from, Naropa. Was uh, that your mom's idea? My father. Mom would probably have settled on George or <laughs> something a little less aggressively yeah. bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's the backstory on that to some degree. Um, and where did you start? Where'd you, where were you born? I was born um, here in Colorado, actually, in Boulder, and then we came to Paonia. Real so I was early here, on. Yeah, I was here at the onset and then have come full circle. Right. Uh, you mean you haven't just stayed in Paonia your whole life? <laughs> no. <laughs> and, I mean, backstory would be father runs an ashram uh, uh, 
for people who don't know, an ashram is a the equivalent of a monastery. Yeah. To some degree, borrowing mostly from uh, Hindu and tantric practices. So my father had that. Is that in Boulder? That was here. No, he's no that. We started in in Boulder, but ended up we lived. I lived in Tennessee, Arkansas, New York, New Jersey, Florida, India, Paris, um, back. And then my father bought land in the remote mountains of Tennessee hmm. where he pursued his utopian dreams and moved us all out into the middle of nowhere into the remote mountains. And Do you have sibs? Yeah, brother and oh, two half-brothers. Okay. Uh, and that, you know, and then from there I skipped my senior year of high school, was always precocious, and went off to art school and... Memphis, and then got a scholarship to go to New York City and to Europe, and moved to New York City. And from that point on, it was pretty much uh, metropolitan uh, affection. So yeah. New York City, L.A., San Francisco, Nashville, New Orleans, uh, some other nice places. What school did you go to in New York? Um, well, the, the, what I did, New York has uh, the adjunct of the Memphis College of Art, where I began studies and actually doubled up on hours so graduated skipped my senior year doubled up on hours so was done with art school like 21 or something but uh they had a program a scholarship where you were awarded uh, a semester in new york it's a consortium new york studio program so you have your own studio there nice um and then you have uh meetings and with with established artists in New York, and you have to write reviews of all the gallery shows every week, and sort of, you know, dive headfirst into into the art scene, into the art world in New York. Yeah, yeah, that seems like a good thing to do. For uh, that was fun. That was a artists. blast. And then I went back to my final semester in Memphis. Okay, where it turned into essentially a what would I say a turf war. A, Somehow I became the the representative of this problematic discourse in art for all really? the professors in my art school, and which culminated finally in me burning most of what I had done at the art school. Physically? Yeah, that was my final piece. <laughs> Did you have people to watch it? Yeah. No, I put paintings on s- sticks and tore up most of the drawings and shredded them and burned the paintings and and uh, kind of was just proving my point which was simply you know to not that, that, that I just felt like so much and I appreciate it now the rigor of an academic European academic tradition uh-huh. like that this, was pretty strong in the Memphis that's that's what they're known for it's oh very really much, yeah to some degree it's very much you know and, and as I said I appreciate it it's like this is how you you know, this is how you draw representationally. Yeah. This is, you know, here's 2D theory, 3D theory, et cetera, et cetera. And then, but there was no awareness of, I think, contemporary practice and postmodern practices, which is what New York sort of beat you over the head with. Right. So you so, got back and you are just like, yeah. this it's like, is oh bullshit. my God. This is it backwards. Was, it was just that you guys are not acknowledging, you know, it's, it's one thing. If it's a trade school, right. that's interesting. Right. But in terms of relevancy to the dialogue surrounding what constitutes art, I just wasn't getting it. Mm-hmm. So 
But anyway, so I wrapped that up and ended up soon thereafter returning to New York and sort of digging in. Yeah, into the scene. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting balance for um, art training. I mean, I feel like I didn't get... I could have used, I think, a little more straight up learning to draw. Right, and then I I hear that from people... Like, you know, being out west, you meet people from, you know... uh, Cal Arts program down south, or there's schools in San Francisco uh, that that they're more conceptually mm-hmm. driven. Mm-hmm. They're more concerned with multimedia mm-hmm. and a lot of um, practices that I think post Duchamp and post Cage, it's like the question became, you know, what what that it opened the doors to any practice considered can be an artistic practice so it problematized the sort of affection of modernism for these sort of dying canons like Mm -hmm. you paint oh Mm -hmm. my god you're a caveman or Mm -hmm. not only that i do i do charcoal drawings Mm -hmm. of people you know it's like you might as well have said you 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 know you use uh an abacus instead of a computer (laughs) or something but it's, it's just funny because there are those perennial cycles and then like you're saying there is a quality to the mark there's an experience in the visceral aspects of paint there's a you know there's a language and an ongoing conversation still in those mediums in that in that small frame mm-hmm. that becomes even more precious as it's as it becomes less uh practiced. lauded or yeah practiced or cons- it's you know you've got like Curran, what's his name, Tom Curran, you have like these returns to portraiture, to landscape, to these vernaculars that are that are considered passe. And so, as I said, I do in some degree uh, am thankful for the, the that education. Mm-hmm. Um, I think finding the balance between the two yeah. would have been better. And also, to I felt um, stigmatized for bringing back those ideas at the time. I was like 21 or something. Bringing them to Memphis. Yeah. And also having, um, just as a sort of coming of age, you're, you're, you're experimenting more, you're, you're more prone to have a, a strong reaction to, to people that don't seem to want to have that discussion. So, yeah. Um, but it's, it's, yeah. So it's interesting. So did you feel like you had, um, something something to say then it's i mean it sounds like you had something to say when you got back and well, found it that way i mean more more i would say what uh, the 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 onus of of my concern at, at that point was about what i would consider an art practice it wasn't so much about me it was about some of the ideas that were percolating mm-hmm. in the art world. Mm-hmm. And so to some degree, uh, I didn't feel like I had a voice per se as much as I was playing with um, paradigms and how they abut one mm-hmm. another. Mm-hmm. And it's only much later that through a period of, I think, winnowing down, eliminating, 
um, and trying to come to a sort of bedrock of um, self-consideration or what 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 can I bring to the table mm-hmm. as an individual mm-hmm. is you know is there such a thing mm-hmm. is there those becomes questions of psychology and philosophy but I think more when I had more experience in life mm-hmm. as I mentioned to you earlier I just stopped quote-unquote making artwork for a good decade or so and it was just part of it was I had nothing to say mm-hmm. and so there was like okay I can comment on the state of mm-hmm. the art of the world of these these um these contemporary concerns but in terms of it being germane to my own experience it was just more of an intellectual exercise and meant to burn bridges just because that was some that was where i was at as an anarchist or something like sure okay you're the professor watch this i'll burn my painting now what do you think yeah you know (laughs) yeah well and that's i think a big part of self-discovery is is just cutting out things that don't serve you right and that's a good place to start. Exactly. And like that kind of, you know, uh, that journey was very much, was uh, part of a experience of really removing myself from, um, I wouldn't say the world, from the city, from, um, I, I went The into, 10 years off? N- well, towards the end of that, I went into taking care of my father's ashram, I stopped uh, reading, I stopped watching television, I basically eliminated all media, and was doing a lot of meditative practices, and basically realized that most of what I was saying, and had been working with, this was a sort of uh, extreme uh, realization of concerns that I had already wrestled with Mm -hmm. that that there was no self that I was just translating it's like a conversation felt more as if I read this and now I'm going to Mm. give it to you or I saw this and now I'm just I just felt like more of a conduit for the dominant culture as Mm. opposed to a person and I also saw that they're just power dynamics about I have something to say it's not about what I was saying it was just about self-affirmation like I exist because now I'm talking yeah had nothing to do with the content yeah and that obviously leads led to some of these concerns about context versus content in the speech bubble series and and also at that time visually and philosophically coming to sort of a a a base level of like i will eliminate all gratuitous information and see what's left and rebuild the world from there yeah you know so you spent a lot of that time where where is the ashram that was in tennessee in nashville at that point and then from there, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother <laughs> But chapter. is it like out in the, it's out in the mountains? Yeah. And well, but by that point, my father had moved to Nashville okay. and he went to India and I was sort of caretaking this facility with this woman. In Nashville. Yeah. Who had been married to the drummer from Guns N' Roses and had had a divorce and was like, had started doing very intense uh, yogic practices. And then we became lovers and sh- and I, just before that, had all my artwork and journals stolen, like probably seventy pieces and from all where? my writing from this uh, place in Nashville. Shit. So I had hit total. Fuck. My identity was erased. Yeah. 
Yeah. I was deeply questioning what I was doing with my life, and I returned to this uh, the ashram while my father was gone, and then started doing these practices, and just had this radically transformative period, which ultimately, uh, hilariously enough, ended with the two of us, her and I, in Hollywood, and her pursuing her dreams of fame and wealth really which is like the the height of irony from where we from point a to point z wow that's yeah. interesting so that was, was that a joyful uh experience like when you were doing meditation and feeling that you well, had kind of joyful, been cut down yes. to zero it was um i still actually don't have it it, it what would I compare it to? Maybe the quality of the best poetry for me or what I look for in poetry is a quality of form that's still open-ended so you can't pin it down. Hmm. That's how I look at that period of my life. Something radical and profound happened. Mm -hmm. But as to speaking to my ability to tell you what that was, I could go with one narrative or another, Hmm. but I don't... I don't... uh, I can't say I believe more strongly in one than any of a number of interpretations. One would be you were doing, you know, ancient secret tantric practices and had kundalini awakenings. Another would be you uh, psychologically came to the end of the road and, and opened yourself to archetypal influence or possession. Another would be that this is what happens in a cult. Mm-hmm. And another would be you were in love with this beautiful blonde you know, wannabe mm-hmm. actress who is just phenomenally inspiring and mm-hmm. infected you with this kind of quality of being. And mm-hmm. But yeah, there were definitely... Uh, it stayed with me in the sense of like, I would highly recommend, and that's partially why I have come back to Peony, was the paring down of my frame Mm -hmm. there got literally got to the point of sitting in meditation for hours every day delivering organic groceries once a week contemplating what i was eating Mm -hmm. what i was thinking about where my thoughts were coming from where what actually i would consider what was what constituted um the self yeah you know and then so in paonia that's in this town there's that sense too of like you can bring it, you can make the frame as small as you want here. Yeah. Or you can, you know, I have my library and I have the internet. Yeah, sure. So, and, and I love that in contemporary about. arts practices. And like, you have that residency aspect. It's like, you can have now these dis, the, these disparate and far flung nodes where you can be isolated and still access, you know, okay, oh, I'm here for the winter, but I can have the complete works of, you know, like Foucault or, or you know, Deleuze. I can actually have a, uh, enough traction in terms of intellectually to be engaged mm-hmm. while being God knows where, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so that's that's been part of this experience here has also been a return to quality of, of loneliness or isolation, yeah. though the community eventually does grab <laughs> you. you. Yeah. You know, but I, I spent a couple years here, you know, don't, that's been my modus operandi when I m- have moved a lot is really don't 
seek. open the door. Yeah, don't. It's not that I don't open the doors. I don't seek out friendships. I don't, I'm not really yeah. seeking out that that those interpersonal dynamics. But eventually, by virtue of my curiosity and yeah. and everything else, they they emerge. But I actually enjoy that quality of being someone no one knows in mm-hmm. the corner reading or mm-hmm. watching or you know um, being afforded that ability to be a ghost yeah to some degree. yeah i think so. that makes people uncomfortable or it's challenging to get to that place because that requires letting go a little bit of control oh over yeah for sure what's going to sure. come into your life and how your life is going to unfold i mean the last if you would have told me five years ago i'd be in have a studio and a house in this tiny town in Colorado, I would have laughed at yeah. it. So when were you in San Francisco? Is that where you were before this? Yeah, on and off for oh, through most of the probably late 90s into okay. the early 2000s because my folks actually lived in Half Moon Bay. Okay. And I had been in New York City for a couple years at that point and then had gone down to L.A. and then moved to San Francisco and then uh, was in Half Moon Bay on and off with them. Nice. Uh, well, let's talk about LA and San Francisco just a little okay. bit. Okay, sure. Um, I think it's interesting. I've been down to LA recently and had a really good time. Mm-hmm. Help yourself if you want some walnuts sure. and craziness. Um, and I'd always thought, I'd always had like a NorCal superiority oh. complex just because mm-hmm. it was cool, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, the SoCal is all about image and acting. And um, I think there's a little bit of a flip-flop going on now where now San Francisco is, like, absurdly expensive and it's actually more affordable to live in L.A. Yes, or Oakland. Or Oakland, right. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I went down to L.A. with more of an open mind, I found that, like, people were super friendly. And, like, Mm -hmm. I had – it felt almost more accessible than San Francisco. I I wonder if when you were in L.A., did you feel like when you went up to San Francisco, like, in the late 90s, that it had – how did it compare to L.A. at, at that time? Uh, I mean, I I feel like you're hitting the nail on the head in the sense that the L.A. for me, I mean, it has a it has a history with like the California surface and light artists and this and Cal Arts and there's that, but it's that was very. Um, What's California surface and lights artist? Well, surface is like the McCracken. Yeah, John McCracken, like he does, they're they're almost like that quality of surface or luster. Mm. They come from like hot rod culture and hmm. the object hmm. as like this sort of. Um, there's a lot. There's not a lot of de. There's not a lot of detail or image. It's just like a panel of like a lustrous red hmm. or, and then, the art light. You have like Robert Irwin. You have like, um, what's the guy Terrell? Hmm. Like a lot of this playing with light in spaces and cutting holes in the ceiling and um, a lot of that was coming out of SoCal but um, I feel like a lot of those worlds were very um, what would I say small or they were they were they were very specific mm-hmm. it wasn't a tone for the whole city uh-huh. and when I was in LA initially I wasn't really I was painting and had some arts practice but was more dealing with uh, theater okay. and other arenas of interest, music. Um, and at that time, it did have that c- kind of coarseness, that materiality, like the Sunset Strip mm-hmm. and bling, and mm-hmm. you have to have money, and the whole aesthetic mm-hmm. uh, paradigm was a little off-putting to me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really my cup of tea. 
and San Francisco had uh, more of a sense of an honesty or mm. a, a quality of um, uh, an ability, approachability in people. Mm. But as you said, I think over through the the nineties and then through into two thousand and and later. As San Francisco post dot com was transformed yeah. financially, yeah. people fled to Oakland. But also L.A., the Echo Park, Silver Lake. There was this. I mean, the cost of living was reasonable. There were a lot, there's the health food industry. There is the art, but it, it moved from that sort of gloss of uh, uh, financial success to glam not glamour but it's that that tussle between image and substance mm-hmm. and substance i feel like la now you can it ha- it doesn't have that what would i say it's different in the sense that the arts are afforded more respect hmm. there's a quality like you can have glamour you can have coolness you can have hipness through the work you're doing and at this point in san francisco it's about image it's it's completely reversed yeah and and la has more of that um ability to accommodate the sort of rogue genius or the, hmm. the person who's in their bathrobe after working all night on a song yeah it's more accommodating whereas in san francisco at this point it's like the perfect gloss every hair in place every Stitch of clothing, yeah. designer. You know, you can't even. Every cup of coffee is four fifty. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong; I love coffee, mm-hmm. and there's some damn good I, coffee. Yeah, but I just feel like, in terms of a community that's even going to be supportive and manageable, especially for people. I mean, I see people in their twenties now, and and even L.A. It's you know, it's moving towards that. But in San Francisco, I see people in their twenties, and I I just feel sorry for them yeah. mostly because my coming of age was my my rent was $80 a month i mean mm-hmm. you could if you couldn't get that together there was you know that was <laughs> you could go down and panhandle for a day but the point was you were afforded a quality of freedom yeah. to explore fuck yeah dude your work and That's what you it. were and now it just feels like and i see it everywhere across the board is this sense of like art where there's not so much the exploration, it's more of an identity politic. Like, I'm an artist, and now yes. I'm going to sell this thing. Yeah, what are you making, and what's your right. website, right. and are you selling right. on Etsy? Right, and my, I mean, when we were, my peers, it was about, it wasn't about marketing, it wasn't about being a success, it was like just the radical choice to have freedom. We chose sort of poverty so that we could do whatever we wanted without yeah. being beholden to any dominant ideology or any dominant culture. And I just feel like that has fundamentally shifted. Yeah. And it makes me sad because I, you know, I, I feel like it affords you the ability to take a deep breath and really um, focus on uh, not, not have this sort of uh, like... S- the screaming siren of making it or, yeah. or paying the, the your $1,200 studio yep. cost or eleven you know. twenty five in Oakland so, for me. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, and that's why you wonder about like a place like this. Can 
I wonder if there's going to be a shift as as people and there is a tendency now I'm seeing more it's not like the commune like the 60s and, and some what my parents were dealing with it's like this sort of remove yourself from society and pursue these communal interests and these yeah. spiritual practices now I'm seeing that happening again but it doesn't have the same ideological premise it's more yeah. there's a practical aspect yeah too. people are and getting some shit done like okay i can grow my own food and pickle it and then i can sell my niche jellies in yep. a store in oakland and oh look i can sell the t-shirts i make online and and actually i can have a quality of life and set that up anywhere yeah and you know so then it becomes a question of where and you know really a question of what quality of life do you want yeah so and i and i still love i mean i love the hustle bustle I know. bling of the city don't it's get fun. me wrong you know I, I like to dress up and you know wash my armpits and put yeah. on you know some rings and go out and, and yeah be a pimp <laughs> <laughs> but then you know sometimes you're just like oh fuck it it's like i want to walk to the cafe mm -hmm. through so you know trees swaying in the wind and yeah. there's some farmers going by and yeah who wave yeah you know they don't care whether or not you're you know a dada artist or right <laughs> burn your paintings or you have a funny haircut or whatever yeah. they're just growing some you know working in the orchard and there's something about that that's is a nice reminder and it does feel like that what happens in these urban settings is you get in a click and you lose sight of this bigger picture of like how to so so much of the world it's it's an unrelated it loses any kind of purchase in most people's daily concerns and it's all just the speech bubbles right around <laughs> exactly the disconnected context Anyway, yeah, I I'm so happy. I didn't know a place like this existed. Mm. I I uh, always had a, a desire to farm and to be, mm -hmm. you know, I want to have children and I want them to have a connection to land. Mm -hmm. But um, I I was worried that it was going to have to be kind of an isolated thing, mm -hmm. and I was thinking, well, how am I going to land close to the, like san francisco that like that land is like ridiculously expensive and like i want <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah there you go yeah or close to sacramento but this this in a, in a sense has it all in, in in my mind i mean there is there's certainly there's got to be something to um some inherent value to cities in just that sheer mass right, of humanity. right, right, right. but um and there's some there's a lot of power there, but I I do feel like it has somehow gotten uh, it's lost some soul. Oh, for sure. And uh, for sure. I wonder what do you do you think? How much of that do you think is by design? Well, like in terms of like uh, the idea of an, an effort to disconnect humanity from the earth or from important concerns and, and get them all just focused on money. I I mean as much as I. I'm not going to go so far as to like it's a Machiavellian uh, project of the, the Zionists or something, but I do think as an uh, effect, it you know it it it's um, visible. It's something that you experience 
um, in a manner that 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 uh, is undeniable, you know. Yeah. Um, and at some point, I think people have a crisis. The yeah. culture is having a crisis, as far as I can tell. Yeah. You know, and that's partially what drove me. At least I have enough background to know that something like this exists, or that I can mm-hmm. create. Hello. Hey, man. Hey, what's up, Brian? Hey, guys. What's going on? You want to join the podcast? We're we're just doing a podcast recording. Should we take take a quick break? We'll take a quick break. Yeah, take a break. I was wondering if you wanted to move heavy. We took a little break. We went outside. We moved a stove from one part of Naropa's house to the other. And then we rolled up a doobie and burned it down. Walked around a little bit, admired this massive grapevine that had taken over an entire fence. One vine spanned probably 75 feet of fencing. It was awesome. We talked about all kinds of things and and got excited about gardening and fixing up the shed and that stuff. You know, just a cool little sesh outside. And then, and then we went back inside and we said these things. Maybe more, maybe less, but that's probably the average. So amount of time spent here? Just if I am on a jag where I'm focused on a couple pieces or a singular piece that I want to work on. Mm-hmm. And to realize that part of the beauty of this town and being here is you can choose to, to take time and apportion it where you see fit. Yeah. There's not a lot of pressures to do except for your own, right. you know. Desire to schmooze. Build a house. No, not even Uh, schmooze. Build a house. (laughs) Put a new roof on the shack. (laughs) Or, you know, spend a week working on a painting or a song or, you know. That's like my number one concern these days. Is what? Fitting things into the day. Or allotting time and not feeling bad about things I'm not spending time on. Right. Mm -hmm. And trying to be fully present in the things that I am spending time on right and then but the big struggle is is directing that like i know there's a certain portion of of direction that you have to have that comes from just inside you know sure um and when to like apply that to a situation and when to not and just sort of allow Mm -hmm. whatever to arise Mm -hmm. which goes back to what we were discussing earlier about how the co- the overhead, the cost of of living in a lot of cities at this point, uh, sort of levels the playing field in the sense that you don't, when you take leisure or the idea of doing nothing, yeah, is inconceivable yes. to a lot of people. I mean, whereas there's definitely a, a history of not sloth, but just having no. Um, necessary uh, no narrative no yeah just to be it and see what speaks to you but also a for also give yourself the, the time to let something arise organically mm-hmm. oh when you start growing things you know mm-hmm. watching my family's uh, trees mm-hmm. six years you're watching mm-hmm. an oak tree grow and suddenly your whole perspective of place changes Mm. yeah yeah and the the trees have all the stories 
Oh yeah, with everything that's I mean, happened. That that grape bush out there, fifty years old or something. Like, good yeah. lord. <laughs> Do you think it just ate the other two? I think they. Maybe there were a couple dry summers. Mm-hmm. Um, it, as I said, trimming it. There was there was so much dead, uh, yeah. dead dead branches and. Organ- organic material in there that it dried out, desiccated. Mm-hmm. So, so you think that that Paonia, Paonia can work as a model? You think Paonia could be a model for community building or just human development? Human, you could call mm-hmm. it a permaculture, right? It's a it's a work in progress. Yeah, it's, uh, it'll be good to chart. Yeah. yeah. That's probably part of my fascination with being here is the fact that that is actually conceivable to a certain degree here. Yeah. Well, it seems like it's moving in that direction. And the question to me is whether, and I mean, it's kind of sick to even think about, but whether or not it gets derailed somehow. You know, like, I, oh, I think there's ample things... opportunity for it to be. I mean, the thing is, this town has had such a, a history already in terms of. You know, it was the only town, not the only town, but one of the, the first towns to actually succeed in a fracking ban. Right. In right. pushing back, the New York Times had it was so obsessed with Paonia small town politics because mm-hmm. it's the classic. I didn't know that. It's the classic, yeah. like, David and Goliath story. And, you know, the town looks like a Norman Rockwell painting, and right. there's mm-hmm. churches every 20 feet, and there, this is where they drew the line. You right. Know? So, quite, yeah, wow, mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah, I'd heard about that, but I didn't know that it got such um, coverage. Oh, people, yeah, people, re- people retired from high levels in the BLM because mm-hmm. of this shit. Really? Oh yeah, it got brutal. Mm-hmm. When what people? What? Why would they retire? Well, retire is a way of saying they had gotten so ground up in the gears around the circumstance that they got forced out or retired in embarrassment or whatever it was this was the breaking point well is the blm were they trying to get the fracking through or they're the ones that were stopping the fracking no the blm was partially in they were approving Mm -hmm. opening blm land for mining development yeah so they were directly involved in that process that was part of the issue (laughs) supposedly someone came to them and said i want to lease this number of acres for fracking and so then they had to put it out to the public for comment oh like that that had happened yeah they had nominated yeah. 30,000 acres or parcels Something i guess it was like acre, that, around yeah. the town the whole town Whoa. would have been surrounded by Whoa. massive drilling operations which Whoa. has already happened Shit. across the west yeah. and you can see what ha- that's the like you can the see the models right but the interesting thing is there's enough of a history of uh, activism here that was predicated on a relationship to the coal industry mm-hmm. for the last, like, hundred years. So there's also environmental organizations that um, have right. really learned to navigate this dialogue with the coal industry. And and coal and gas became said. It wasn't just that all the coal miners or coal industry immediately said, oh, no, gas is okay. 
because even the coal mine is has you know the, this they try to keep a low impact and like mm. there's all the VOC issues right. and off gassing and the water testing and, the water testing like and no different on either side right. probably because of the conservation center and reserve so the point is wow. that organization monopolized in a in a immediate and vocal manner against the leasing of that land yeah so there were protests and, right. you know, at the headquarters in Montrose and letters and media, Bonanza, and, you know. And Town Hall was literally yeah. full, <laughs> the whole hall and the auditorium that the, the discussion was in. They, yeah, they brought in, the entire auditorium was full of people, like engineers in town and people from environmental policy. And the real estate. And they were all drilling these BLM yeah. Officials. Awesome. Oh, it was That's like awesome. it was classic. <laughs> right. They thought they were just going to roll into the small town. Everybody would be like, "Oh, that's great! Do whatever yeah, you want." Jobs. And people, and then you had environmental environmental engineers talking about the possibility of having leaks or compromising right. groundwater, sure. and you had environmentalists talking about the, the 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 burning of the diesel that has all this VOC and how you you What's try the VOC? to they're like heavy uh, particulates. Like, yeah, I think metal. Metal content, yeah, Mm -hmm. and the a lot of times they'll take the water they use for the fracking, leaving it in open pit for. But no, actually, they spray it out in the heat so that the VOCs blow off or or evaporate, and then it all goes downwind. That's like a major issue. You get these heavy concentrations just below, you know, wherever they're fracking. Mm -hmm. So, So is it state land around that was going to be BLM? It's all BLM, which is. Federal land? Yeah. Yeah. This is a whole question. This is the whole relationship, the relationship between Cheney and Halliburton and opening BLM land to uh, gas, natural gas development. Basically, when in the last, no, in America, in the last like 15, 20 years, it quietly slid into place with virtually no oversight, legislative wow. oversight. And suddenly people are waking up and like, holy shit, there's a thousand natural gas wells over there. Right. Wow. You know? Yeah. And there's even legislation going the other direction saying you can't have legislation against it. Oh, yeah, Just exactly. In some insurance. Yeah, they're like, it's... Well, it's I almost feel, grandfathered I, in now. Like, right. you're allowed to frack everywhere. That's a God-given right. 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 So, in any case, that's one aspect of Paonia, too, is it, it does mobilize. It's, it's interesting, you have the libertarian, right. sort of self-determined uh, community here, which, which does go into, like, the far right, actually. So, the weird thing is the left mm-hmm. and the right have a, a common interest mm-hmm. in Colorado. So, right. the middle is actually extreme right. <laughs> to some degree. Yeah. Like, that's why there were more votes for legalizing mm-hmm. marijuana mm-hmm. than there was for either presidential candidate. Right. It was just, those issues are immediate and people, mm-hmm. you know, they just... Uh, They're like, ooh, actually something that impacts right. my life. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that sounds like Panay's already cleared a huge hurdle then. Because yeah. that's pretty hard I mean, you can't really break that down. Once people right. know what their power is, mm-hmm. you can't right. take it away. And right. there's really nothing that's been shown to be more powerful than, than human right. humans collected together in common. Right. In in righteousness, really. I mean, when right. it comes down to it. And that shows everybody that there is 
regardless of political beliefs or whatever, there is some rubric on which all humans fall in a particular slant, pretty much. Like, there's some basic things that we all agree upon. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty awesome. Yeah. I did it. Well, I, you know, you are in situations, or I am in, in any case when I travel, where you you uh, become more aware of uh, issues like water. Can you breathe the air? Right. You know, is is the food toxic? Is it genetically modified and has God knows what long-term epigenetic effect or something on my, my DNA or... You know the the evolution of our species, and then you come back to Paonia, and you're like the things that seem as if they should be natural or God given rights are right there, and it does have this immediate like okay, I know I can eat the fruit from that tree because there's that tree. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know. Yeah, people picking each, each other's cherries. And, right. Yeah. That cherry tree is supposedly ripe. Willis said. Cherry tree that's at Ellsworth Studios. Ooh, let's climb that. Moment. Yeah, Myers gets up there and shakes it, shakes him down. Too. What was it? The gra- yeah, grand, we did last grand lady or something like that. Is that what they call that tree? tree? Uh, no, I don't think that's what it is. Something like that, but they're like yellow, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um. So, anything more specific to artwork? Are we good? Uh. Well, you're making some. You're making some cool stuff. I'm gonna take some pictures and put them up so people okay. can look at them. Um, cool. Well, let's try to tie that to what we were just talking about. So, the idea of people coming together mm. in a common situation and, and having fundamental agreements. And mm-hmm. I think that a lot of speech bubbles and a lot of the idea of context can get people wrapped up in things that distract them from that common, shared human uh, agreement. Because the, and it can help them believe that, that they believe different things, or that they disagree right. with people. Well, I mean, I, I would differentiate between content and context. Mm-hmm. I, I'm in the sense that I'm I'm concerned with the uh, dynamics, the power dynamics, or interpersonal dynamics stripped bare of the details. I'm more interested in the intentionality, and so the speech bubble as a primal ur symbol of the egg. It's the egg of integrity or potentiality or the a cosmo, cosmologic model wherein there's the potential of any development, so to speak. So it's, it's actually a sort of potentiality. Hmm. I like that. But yeah, as, you, as you pointed out, there is also a sort of um, not vampiric, uh, pre- what's, what's parasitic. The parasitic aspect to some of the the protrusion or the thorn essentially in the edge of the bubble that becomes the siphon with which you enter the rhetoric. So there is, yeah, a question of intention or elemental uh, principles of operation that that are something I've been thinking a lot about in social politics mm-hmm. and in psychological terms. Mm-hmm. And that is something that comes to question in the idea of community or being here. Yeah. You know, at what point do you choose a place? Yes. If you're a gypsy, if you're a farmer, 
you know, if you're someone who's thinking about having children, yeah. and you don't want your children to get snatched up yeah. and disappear or whatever. I think there's you know. no doubt that there's there's it's natural to have places that are tended by generations and have like right. a, a history that is intact right. and and so I think it's a question of, of when to start a new one, right. and it's a question of when to just join somebody else's, basically. Right. And then how many can you have? Right. You can have more than one, maybe. Maybe right. you can have more than one. Well, I have a group of friends that have been not bandying the idea about for a while about having shared real estate mm-hmm. around the world so you create networks that where that is the premise like you have yeah. your house i have mine but but there's such a it's so lovely to be able to spend five months or yeah. a half you know whatever a yeah. year even somewhere else and just have that within this network of mm-hmm. you know oh emotion. that's so healthy yeah because i've traveled enough to have that go to a place for a day and you know right. try to download or get some impression but that's so fundamentally different than, you know, mm-hmm. being there and establishing your own rhythms and rooting. A so, do you feel like what your the project you have going up on your land is is your uh, primarily yours? Yeah, I mean, in a way of like your well, motivation great. that is at the seat of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. In a certain scope up there. Like a sort of cordoned off areas that I just don't think about, and that's ninety five percent of the place. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, right. The rest, right. I'm like, okay, maybe this is feasible to think about. Yeah, but you don't feel. Um, I mean, at what point, or I don't know if you're even at that point, but we talk about seeking or traveling. Mm-hmm. At what point did you feel good about like, okay, this is where I want to make something happen? It was rather rushed, actually, and how I got here, I. We just went up to visit the property, my dad and I, after we saw it on the internet. Uh-huh. And then we went up, and then we decided to buy it that yeah. day in February. Wow. Jesus. I hadn't even been to Peonia before. Wow. But you knew what the land was like, more or less. You knew that it was pretty good. Yeah, There's and it had the mineral rights. You had just gotten right. out of the mental no. institution, right? Evergreen? Yeah. <laughs> would you say you're an impulsive person i'd say i often make impulsive decisions and then later i'm like oh god that was in this case it was a good decision very lucky yeah but uh oftentimes i'll look at things and be like like, I tried to pile a bunch of wood and make a garden bed floating on, on the pond, pond. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. one day, very impulsively, and then now the pond has receded, and so it's just this, like, <laughs> salty mass of <laughs> straw and wood. Like, <laughs> <laughs> It'll start composting, probably. Yeah, yeah. right. Well, there you go. Yeah. So, uh, compost. I'm, talk- I'm thinking a lot about compost these days. And uh, I think that's the most important thing to be to be doing right now. Mm-hmm. Like on the earth, that solves every major issue. Like it's physical work, which is like important for everyone right. to do. Yeah. And it's, it smells like poop. And when you step <laughs> in it, <laughs> you can but. put you can put poop on people's you know plants. 
Sure. And they'll love it. Right. They'll love it. They say if, if America or, you know, some significant number of people decided to plant a small garden or two or a bed of, you know, tomatoes in their yard as uh-huh. opposed to just grass that's mowed, <laughs> it would radically alter the food landscape oh, almost yeah. overnight. Yeah. You know. That's so, what I'm talking about right there. That's science, the revolution. Right? But then what the problem is what starts to happen is certain areas that have been overdeveloped and are, have tenuous holds uh-huh. within the landscape because mm-hmm. they're so dependent on yeah. water that's piped like in. Like Phoenix, for example. Yeah, then what happens is you start, they start getting a little more problematic as right. you're like, you know, there's been a drought there right. and it's going to continue to do that. Mm-hmm. How committed are we as a culture to dumping You're right. vast amount. Right. It's, it's a waste yeah. of resource. Right. Mm-hmm. I think like some why develop in a up. flat, hot plain with no water? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean... You can't. You can't. At this point, it doesn't right. make any sense. Well, and, and, and whatever exists there it, it can't exist. Like if In the future, theoretically, you could have some sort of establishments there. People places people go in the winter or whatever right, but sure. on the scale of, of suburbia right that's right, ridiculous that how is spread out we need a car to get around right yeah. a lot of that stuff just has to go right it's got to just be right. you got to have no big, reason to supply that much water so people could go golfing on their vacation no. in the and desert you got to go in and pick up those <laughs> <laughs> it almost sounds like the beginning of a joke <laughs> what is it's the best joke. way to yeah. waste water <laughs> two guys go into a bar like, i'm watering my golf course oh where is it two it's in uh, phoenix <laughs> what's the average temperature yeah 105 does any of the water evaporate <laughs> that you use on the golf course, or is it all absorbed into the... Right, it feeds groundwater, for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, there is that. Yeah. Where does that water come from? Oh, the Colorado. Colorado. Huh. Heard about that. Where does it get diverted? Yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen the, uh, the map, a hydrologic yeah. map. So, let's say we get it all... We get our shit together as a species, and we... We uh, reforest the earth and take care of toxic nuclear waste, etc. Then, does the earth become a big spaceship, do you think, that we can move into other solar systems? Well, it's already already happening. Right, it is a spaceship. Yeah. But do you think we'll have... You mean, will we control the earth and be able to move it cosmically? Yeah. It's something that... Or do you think we'll have spaceships? Well, I would. We wouldn't need to have the NASA program. We'd just fly the whole Earth exactly. wherever we wanted to go. The problem... But we might, have spaceships already. But the problem might simply better. be that mm-hmm. I think we're moving in a very specific right. system. To in do terms that of would throw off the entire right. life forces of the planet, I think. Also, oh, balances, yeah, yeah, balances, between, right balances <laughs> between planets and how we're also revolving around the sun. Like You, you can't just happen to, to, to pass by say Jupiter or it depends on their gravitational field for instance you might if the earth is freed or moves somewhat closer right, to the but all I want to say is we are hurtling through space and as you know I think 
the, the black holes and these sort of uh, ruptures in our simplistic uh, Euclidean uh, geometry of how we believe reality exists. We right. don't. There's so much interpenetration right. of alternate realities, be it like high end of the electromagnetic frequency or like you know all the things we're patently unaware of that are happening right i mean so my point simply being in terms of being a spaceship not only yes we're the earth is turning this wing of the milky way is is turning there's a centrifugal force that's in operation held in place by dark matter and the whole thing is rushing through space away from everything around it so we are right I mean, yeah. essentially, we are hurtling through <laughs> space as we're as we're being sort of interpreted by light that's moving through and past us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or light energy, depending on where you split it with right. Einstein. Like, oh, what by do you the mean? way, light versus light energy. Well, e equals mc squared. Energy and light are actually interchangeable uh, for yeah. like forces that you can equivocate and create a translation between. That's what a nuclear bomb is. Mm-hmm. You are essentially picking off. The reason you use an unstable uh, element is because it has an a, electron that's not. It's a little wobbly. It doesn't have some uh, the the force of a gravitational field that some of the closer ones might have, mm-hmm. and it's easier to pick it off. Mm-hmm. So you just direct a blast inward it knocks those loose electrons off then they just start a chain reaction of disrupting everything and it's just ripping electrons out of their orbits Hmm. yeah all right so then what about if we are if there is all that happening and we what about the idea of us gradually gaining awareness right and that we could gradually gain more specific awareness of some of these phenomenal things occurring. And what would you want to do? Would you want to go to another planet? Would you want to go back in time? Would you want to be aware of, like, how you exist simultaneously, like, everywhere? Sure, all of that. Yeah. But, I mean, I feel like I can can do that now. I can read a book and, and be immediately within the consciousness and experience of someone who died you know yeah well to up to the point of the printing press but then a lot of that obviously is mythology mm-hmm. that's that had an oral tradition prior to the printing press obviously mm-hmm. where do you want to just hang out so, in your garden and right i think you'd have to continue a life yeah. i think i i would want to have something going on well, right. then there's the idea <laughs> that, that you could just hop around forever and never yeah, have any right. stability. Yeah. Right. And you could say that this is, like, the sweetest life that, that any consciousness has gotten to experience. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't get any better than this. Like, people are clamoring to, or souls are clamoring to get into this reality or whatever. You could say. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You think that's the rise in human population? Yeah, because yeah. it just simply. I have a night. I have a nightmare, an ongoing nightmare, wherein everywhere I go, there's just children. No people. Uh, so, so every restaurant has a longer line. Every hot springs has too many, slightly too many people. Every road is congested with traffic. Oh every bathroom is occupied. <laughs> every table is taken at the restaurant, mm-hmm. and it's just. 
a it's total terrible. clogging of all it's the terrible. net. Our infrastructure is essentially it's built for a certain uh, number of people. Like they have to rethink how to direct traffic and all these things with more people. And I've noticed, I do have that feeling lately, like everything is slower. It's like, mm. it's filling, the gears are clogging. Yeah, shit is breaking down. Mm-hmm. How's I haven't felt that too much here. Well, you, but yeah, not, well, today. exactly. <laughs> today, yeah. Cherry days. cherry days coming to yeah. town. You guys hear the cherry farts popping off? Oh yeah, uh, some people own. were <laughs> people were out behind our house setting off fireworks, like sort of Whoa. tyrannizing John and his little RV out front. He said he heard them like huh. rustling in the bushes, yeah. and then some some uh, firecrackers went off. That's ridiculous. That's well, thanks, funny. gents. Yeah. yeah, that was really fun. Yeah. Them's the beans, kids. Them's the black beans with bacon. Hope you liked it. That was Naropa Sabine and Ryan Strand, a couple of fine gentlemen here in Panion, Colorado, who I hope to see again and record more conversations with or just have more conversations with for many years to come. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions about the show, please send me an email at gaberobertsart at gmail.com. And be sure to check out the website. Again, I feel like this weird shill of a person as I'm saying this. I didn't write this down. I'm just like in serious mode right now because I have shit to do, man. I got all shit to do, so I gotta just get this podcast out, you know? Yeah, just go get this podcast out and then I gotta get on with the other things of the day. Um, I think that's it. This... Oh, if if you like the podcast, give us a, a rating and review on iTunes, won't you? There's instructions on the website on the support page. That would be great. That would be great. And uh, be sure to check out the website, gaberobertsart.com, and go to the blog and find this post and look at pictures of Naropa's cool paintings. And that's it. You guys are great. I hope um, July 4th was great and you're, you're having a good month. And I'm going to leave you with a song. This is me playing a cover of the classic, classic Pink Floyd song, Wish You Were Here. I wish you were here, all of you. But you're there. And, uh, well, I might be there with you. We might be listening to this podcast together in the future right now. Right now. (laughs) Probably not. Bueno. Un besito. Ciao.
walk on the part of the wall Or lead her in the cage Swimming in a fishbowl Year after year Running over the same old ground But have we found The same old fears I wish you were here 